All right, guys, welcome to today's show. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, I'm joined by my buddy Stieg, and he is a passionate Western hunter. He's from Nevada. He hunts Utah, Nevada every year. And man, I'm telling you, this guy puts in the back work. He spends a ton of time, probably days and days and days when you add it all together, maybe weeks uh, behind glass and scouting for mule deer and elk, and he finds some huge ones. In fact, he loves scouting and glassing so much that he created his own tripod company. He couldn't find a tripod that met his needs that would hold up under all of the stresses and conditions that he puts them through. And so he made his own and now he's got a successful tripod company. We'll talk more about that, but I just can't wait to get information from him because he knows how to do it right. He's he's a humble dude. He's not going to tell you he's the best out there, but I'm telling you, if you look at his stuff, if you follow along with his journey, he finds some giants. And so hopefully this is beneficial to you guys on an upcoming hunt or a future hunt that you've been dreaming about. Let's jump into it. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to the first ever episode of the Western Rookies podcast. And this podcast is going to be all about sharing tips, tricks, strategies, gear recommendations, you name it, to get you guys out west hunting big game animals that you may not have thought was possible. And so I'm excited to share all of that information with you. I'm excited to get these uh, guests on the show so that you can hear from them, from people who have had years and years of experience hunting at hunting mule deer, mountain lions, elk, bighorns, moose, you name it. And so today we've got an awesome guy on the show. His name is Stieg Phillips and Stieg is out of Utah. He is the founder of Canity Tripods. Um, he runs Muley Maniacs. He, he's just an all around outdoorsman, loves all things hunting. So Stieg, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, I'm actually not quite in Utah. I'm just a little bit over the state line into Nevada. But yeah, I've been hunting mule deer for a long time. Uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to start a tripod company. And things seem to be going really well with it. We just try and make, we try and get the best carbon fiber tripods that you can and try and keep them at a reasonable price because anything carbon fiber nowadays is absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even just like, um, I bought, I bought one of the carbon fiber bog tripods for my rifle, like to just clamp my rifle in. I bought it years ago when it first came out and I'm like, man, this is so cool. But also I could have almost bought a second rifle for the amount of money I spent on that thing. And it's huge. I mean, like, I think it weighs eight and a half pounds or something like that, but I'm excited to actually get my hands on one of the tripods that you've got. Cause we will be in the, um, in Salt Lake city at the same time, uh, coming up here pretty shortly, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Get up there for the 
Western Honda Expo. I'll be over in the Tines Up booth if anybody's over there and wants to come check out some tripods. We'll be there, so come check them out. Yeah, I've seen, I, I mean, I've followed along with you on social media for quite a while now and and checked out your stuff, had you on the other podcasts and hearing about your tripods. I'm like, man, I just want to see one in person, get my hands on it because they look like they are super well made. And that that new system, I don't know why I didn't do better research. What is the name of the system where you can have your uh, binos and your spotter on the same tripod? So that's the dual lux system <clears throat> that's more you know i've had a lot of guys comment about it and they're like, man i'd hate to have that i'd hate to pack it everywhere well when you're hunting out west you're not always packing a lot and so that's kind of my thought when i was behind it it's it's for those times when you cruise up on a point and you're going to be there all day and you're looking miles you can just set up your binoculars, your spotting scope, you're not having to switch between things. You can just hang out and glass. And it we've used it. We tested it out all this last season and it seems to work great. It's been awesome. Yeah, I've always thought about that because like going out elk hunting, we would bring spotting scopes and binoculars and you know I'd have my binos on. But when, it, when you're glassing spots that, you know, are only four or 500 yards wide, having a spotting scope isn't necessarily beneficial. You know, it's just you're zoomed too far in, you can't cover as much ground, and then you need them for when they're way out. Well, I don't want to have two tripods out there because that's even more weight. So to have everything on the same system, and then am I correct in saying that the heads or the the binos and the spotter can swivel independent of each other? Yeah, so they set up with two separate heads on there. So it's basically two tripods with the weight of one. And, you know, your tripods, most tripods have a quick disconnect plate. You know, my combos that I sell, they come with two quick disconnect plates. But you know, it's kind of, I don't know. I Like, I've been out several times where we get a buck spotted and you got somebody setting up to shoot and you're trying to figure out how you can video the shot just because it's, you know, it's awesome. Who doesn't like watching the video of a shot? Yeah. And you're trying to keep your eyes on the animal. Well, this allows you to do that. You can set up your spotting scope. You can put your phone scope or whatever you might have on your spotting scope watching the animal videoing for your shot and you can run your binoculars and be watching for the shot to see where the animal goes after he's hit and what happens and that was kind of my original thought behind it was just the possibilities that it gives you are unbelievable yeah that that's amazing i'm i'm pumped to get my hands on one hopefully use one next fall when i'm out there hunting um but I've got I've to pick your brain on some stuff because I have seen some amazing photos, videos of you out there chasing after elk and mule deer. And I'm, I'm hoping to share as much information and educate people as much as possible on how accessible hunting out west is for, you know, 90% of the population. And you, you came to mind right away when I started this podcast or actually took this podcast over and so 
we're going to we're going to dive into any information that you can share that's going to help people connect on a big game animal out west. So, why don't we start with this? What does preseason look like for you? How do you go about finding the areas that that you're going to chase after mule deer or elk or any big game species? Well, for me, it's a lot of time. You know, I, I'll spend a lot of time on Google Earth and Onyx. I, I bounce between my Onyx and my Google Earth all the time looking at maps just because I feel like Google Earth gives you a little bit more crisp vision. But the capabilities and all the information on Onyx it's it's just awesome so you sit there and i'll look and i'll go okay there's a spring back here in this big open basin looks pretty good let's see if there's anything accessible into it go on to onyx it shows me all the roads everything there and you know onyx you can put all your waypoints in i spend a lot of time on my maps going over things looking at places and then probably as much time as i spend on my maps i spend probably triple that amount of time actually out there checking out those spots and just looking like I normally would hunting. So, so you're using maps a lot to first initially even locate a spot that you might be interested in going. Um, what, what other features are you looking for when looking at Onyx and Google earth that, someone from say Ohio that wants to come out, but they only have time off during the actual hunt. What can they be looking for on those maps to try to pinpoint an area where they might run into some big game species? Uh, Well, really it's kind of, it's hard to know for sure that you're going to actually find something there. The big things that I've noticed is, water and then you always want to find something open i mean most of you know like out here where i'm sitting right now i could be looking for animals five miles away from me so you can see a long ways you just kind of got to try and find those open basins kind of in a thicker denser cover you know a burn something like that is really good but Generally speaking, where there's a lot of water, you're going to find a lot of animals. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So, like, I noticed when I first went out there, there's so much time spent looking through your binoculars or your spotting scope. And I didn't understand the value of a nice set of optics until I actually got out there and tried to hunt in the West. What what kind of optics are you using or would you recommend to the listeners? So I run mostly Zeiss optics. I think your your big three names are probably the best. And I think it's all just personal preference preference from there. You know, like my dad really likes Schwarsky. I like Zeiss. He runs the Schwarsky. I run Zeiss. You know, somebody may like Leica and want to run Leica, but I think that those three are by far your best, but they're also your most expensive. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I ran into was looking at optics and realizing just how much money you could be putting into it. Now, for someone who does it 
all the time who gets to spend the time scouting and or is a guide and is taking clients out and, you know, they want the best equipment out there for them. Spending that money is doable. For me, going out west and not having any idea if I was going to succeed, I was like, man, I've got to do this on on a budget. I've got to uh, justify it to my wife, although she's very supportive. Uh, sometimes if the bank account can't can't fund it, you know, her support goes down pretty quick. Um, and so, but but there's plenty of like mid-range and even lower high-end uh, optics that people can get and still have success. But I will say when it comes to optics, spend as much as you can without breaking the bank because I learned after six hours and a day behind binoculars, if you don't have good binoculars, like you will get eye fatigue and headaches and you don't realize it if you're coming from the east where you might be sitting in a tree stand pulling your binoculars up only when you see movement. Yeah, uh, there's plenty of good brands out there that are just kind of a mid-range brand or even a high mid-range brand, you know. Vortex is awesome. They've got an awesome warranty on them. But I completely agree with you. You get what you pay for when it comes to optics. And when you're going to be using your optics for 8 to 10 hours a day, you want to spend as much as you can on them. Yeah, I've I've seen the guys, and I used to be the guy, you know, I buy a really nice rifle and then I end up with the $50 pair of binoculars from Walmart. And it just doesn't cut it when you're hunting out West, you know, you don't get that clear image. Somebody else may be looking through the same power binos as you and they can see in full detail what that mule deer looks like. And if it's worth going after and you're over here having a hard time even finding the mule deer. So, um, optics play a huge part in it. Is there, what other gear do you use and swear by when you're, when you're up in the mountains chasing after animals? Well, I think you definitely have to have a good, a good pack. You know, Badlands makes an outstanding pack. Um, there's also your big camo companies like QU has good packs. Sitka has good packs and they're a little bit more money, but really as long as you're getting a good aluminum frame or even a carbon fibered frame backpack, then you're good. You just, you want something to support all that weight because if not, it'll, man, it can kill your back trying to get somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, I would say also, if you're going to be, if you're going to be hunting out West, get the pack way ahead of time and start with maybe five or 10 pounds and put it in it and, and go hike around and get comfortable with it. Make sure you have all your adjustments set to where you need them. And do that a lot. I mean, put miles. Try to get in the the most similar terrain as what you're going to be hunting. I know a lot of places that's not possible. But even if it means like up and down bleachers, put some time in with whatever gear you buy so that you don't get out there and you're, you're fidgeting with gear the entire time and not being able to focus on the hunt itself. Yeah, you definitely want to be as comfortable with your gear as you can. You know, you got to really get to know it kind of thing. Yeah. What, 
What about strategies as far as like once you once you get the gear that you want, once you select an area that you want to hunt, are there common denominators that kind of happen every time you actually connect with an animal? Is there a trend that you see like, hey, this happened this time, this time, this time, and this time? Maybe it didn't happen once, but what kind of factors are, are playing into the hunt once you actually find the animal and go after it? Yeah, most animals are very easy to pattern. You know, it's just like you and me, you know, we all, we have our patterns. We wake up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we probably take almost the exact same route to get in our truck before we go somewhere. Well, a lot of animals are the exact same way. You know, so when you find that mule deer or that elk or, you know, whatever it is that you're hunting, you know, it's okay to take a day or two and hang back and watch him and see what he's doing, where he's going. Most likely he's going to walk almost the exact same trail to and from his bed and where he's feeding almost every day. Yeah. So you're, you're looking, you're trying to observe them for, you know, a set time frame before you actually go and pursue them. You want to know where they're going to be, when they're going to be there, uh, the why of, you know, the direction they're traveling and then you can set up a plan once you actually have established that you go after for the kill. Yeah, you got to, I think it's all time. You know, you just got to be able to take a day or two once you find it and really kind of pinpoint what he's doing. And once you do that, you kind of know what the animal likes, where he's going to be. And you can say, okay, he's out feeding. He beds over in these trees. You know, if you're archery hunting or something, I need to go up this ridge to get in between him and his bed and he'll come across in front of me. And usually it's almost the exact same time of day that they're doing it. So you could even get it down to the, he walks past this tree between 930 and 945 every day. You know, they're very easy to pattern. That's awesome. Like, I, I haven't thought about that a whole lot when I'm out there hunting because typically we see them and we're like, all right, we're going after them. We're going to make a play on them. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you don't ever see it again once you start moving closer. Um, but to actually figure out a time frame and get that pattern down, that seems really cool to me and it seems like the next level in a hunter's progression is actually learning their behavior and then going after them instead of just seeing them and taking off right away. Yeah. One of the, I've got a friend out here that him and his family have killed some giant mule deer. I mean, just, just two years ago, his son killed a, almost a 240 inch deer and just, giant deer and they'll watch a deer you know they'll find a deer in july and their hunt doesn't start until october and they'll watch it all the way until october and pattern it and know exactly what it's doing all the way until their hunt comes along and then they'll try and make a game plan to go after him wow 
that yeah that seems next level and i know that a lot of a lot of eastern hunters probably understand that concept uh because of trail cameras i mean a lot of people here use trail cameras i know there's several states now that aren't allowing the use of that but to get eyes on an animal that many times to have that many encounters before you actually make a plan to go after it it seems a lot more intimate I guess like when you have a history with an animal and you know exactly what it's going to do when it's going to do it. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's all, it's all about time and hard work. You know, I, my deer hunt a couple of years ago, I had an archery tag and I put in a lot of work after a certain buck and it just never panned out but I'm a big believer in you make your own luck. You know, I put countless hours into this deer and he never panned out. And then the one day I decided I was going to go look somewhere else. I happened to find a 33 inch wide six by five. And lo and behold, he ended up walking almost right up to me in the sagebrush. And I shot him at like 10 yards with my bow. (laughs) Oh my, that's the thing. That's the stuff that dreams are made of. Like as, as a guy who grew up whitetail hunting to be that close with a giant mule deer would be, I mean, I, I'd never forget it. Like that's something that I'd tell that story every time I talk to a new person. That is awesome. Um, if you, so you went to a new area, like what is your, what are your steps for going to a new area? Say, Say I told you, hey, in two days, you've got an open tag for mule deer in unit 23 in Colorado. You don't have the time ahead to go and get boots on the ground to scout. What are your steps or what are you looking for in order to try to connect with something? Well, I think the very first thing I would do is, so I've, got a subscription to go hunt for their insider stuff the first thing i would do is go directly into their draw odds and if you go to your unit and their draw odds not only does it tell you your odds of drawing that tag but it tells you the average size of the animal of an animal killed in that unit and the percentage of tags filled And so that's the very first place I would start. I would go in and I would say, okay, I've got a mule deer tag here. The average mule deer that's killed here is 150 inch deer. So now I know where my standards need to be for that tag. You know, if he's 150 or better, I need to really consider taking the shot because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of deer bigger than that there. Yeah. And then from there I would go, onto my maps and start looking at maps and trying to figure out, do I know anybody who has hunted there before? Do I know anybody that's been around that area? And I would be trying to find water and just trying to get as many connections as I could to try and figure out where I should go look in that area. That, that is amazing that they've got an application where people can can go online and find out what the quality of deer that are harvested and what the percentage is that they're going to connect with one. 
Like that's crazy to me. That used to be the type of thing where you've got to call and talk to your buddy who lives, you know, two hours away and say, what does it look like in that unit? Is it worth my time? But the fact that they can actually go on is an amazing tool because if it's a guy that just really wants to mule deer hunt or elk hunt and he's fine with shooting any legal bull or buck, he can go on one of the much higher success rate units that has a lower, um, lower caliber of deer. And so I would recommend to everybody go check out go hunt and see exactly how you can put their information to use before even selecting where you want to go hunt or where you want to try to draw a tag for. Yeah. I use, I use go hunt. I use their draws all the time when I'm trying to figure out what units I want to put in for in which States. And, you know, some of it, it's like, Oh, you know, it's saying I'm going to have to have 14 or 15 points to draw that tag. And so you kind of have to start looking around, but it's, I mean, it's a phenomenal tool. I can't believe the, what they've been able to do is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I tell people all the time, scouting is your number one tool. The more you can scout, the, the better success you're going to have, or the better you're going to set yourself up for success. And I think people sometimes misinterpret that as like scouting is only boots on the ground, time behind your glass. But when I say scouting, I'm talking digital scouting, figuring this stuff out with go hunt in, and you can do a lot of the back work being, you know, five or 500 miles away. You can do a lot of that stuff online. Now there's always value to actually being in the location seeing it with your own eyes, checking out the terrain. But there's a lot of stuff, if you're trying to prepare for a hunt out west, that you can do on your phone or on your computer that will increase your chances significantly. One of the things that I think that not very many people really think of, and I've, I've done this quite a bit when it comes to hunting coyotes, calling coyotes, is... office and you can call them and a lot of the times if you can get a hold of one of the fish and game officers he'll point you in the right direction of where to go look you know if you're telling him hey i'm coming out i drew this tag i can't afford a guide i'm trying to do it myself where can i find some deer he he'll actually just flat out tell you, Hey, you can find deer over here. If you come up here, you'll find some deer. You'll find some over there. It's just, it's something that I don't think very many guys actually think of. If you don't have anybody to ask, you can ask the fishing game and most of the time they will help you out. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have so much information, like so much information between their studies that they do. Um, I know when I went on the mountain goat hunt with my buddy, Sean afterwards, we, anybody that was on the hunt, not even with a tag, we all filled out a survey after, and we talked about how many mountain goats we saw. We had to give them as exact of coordinates as we knew of where the mountain goats were. We told them every day, like this day we saw 13, this day we saw two, this day we saw none. And then we told them the exact areas and they take all of that information and they compile it into a user-friendly um, map where people can see like, Hey, this is where 
mountain goats have been spotted and that helps out people on future hunts. And we did the same thing. We went online and found an actual kill map of moose for the unit that Sean was hunting. And it showed you which drainages they were in. It told you like the class range that it was in. Um, just amazing information. It would tell you if it was a cow or a bull and there's so much stuff online that can help you hone in on an area. Now I will say if the information is easy to find about an area, like, Hey, we, there's a bunch of big animals that are killed here. Odds are you're going to have a lot more competition in those areas. And just because there's a void spot on the map where there haven't been any, any big animals killed, that might not mean there's no big animals there. It just might mean that everybody's been watching the data and hunting in the same spot as each other. And that spot might be lower pressure. So, um, it's kind of a give and take with the information that you gather because it can be misleading sometimes and just use logic when you're trying to decode the information you're taking in. Yeah. Half of the battle, it seems like with hunting out West is there is, you know, almost everything is public land. I leave my house and 200 yards. I'm in public land. Well, the problem with that is there is a lot of competition. You know, it's not, it's not weird for me to go out hunting and see seven or eight other hunters. You know, there's a, you're going to have a lot of competition. So whatever you can do to find an area that looks promising and seems like, you know, if you just look at it and go, that should have animals there and it's hard to access you know, you might have to hike a mile or two to get up to where you can actually look at that area. That's going to be one of your better areas to go look at. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. What, what do you think it is that sets you apart? Because I've got to, I've got to think that you have a higher success rate than a lot of the people out there. What do you think it is with all of that competition out there that sets you apart and allows you to connect on animals um, maybe at a higher percentage rate? Uh, I don't know that I would say that I do much better than anyone else. There's, I mean, out here where I live, we're in the heart of some of the best mule deer and elk hunting in the Western United States. And there's a lot of guys that people just have never even heard their names that kill a lot of very big animals out of this area. And I think that I just happened to get a little bit more of the recognition because of my tripod company. Okay. But I think 90% of harvesting a big animal is just putting in the time. It's like, well, so you've heard of the law of attraction, right? Yeah. Where if you're focused on something enough, it'll eventually come to you. I think that's 90% of it. If that's what you want, if that's what you're focused on the most, and that's what you're pushing to get, then it'll eventually find its way to you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the prep work and uh, the pursuit of something typically will turn into an opportunity. And 
I've seen that time and time again, both here hunting in Missouri, up in Wisconsin, and out west. You put the time in, you do the back work, you focus all of your energy on it, and your your chances of success just go higher and higher and higher the more you do. Um, what what type of clothing would you recommend to someone who's going to be coming out there? Because I know here in Missouri, even up in Wisconsin, we would get layered up. I'm talking like five layers of clothes. You look like a, an orange Michelin man walking through the woods, but in a spot like Nevada or Utah or Colorado, Wyoming, where the temperatures still get cold, but you have to have that mobility. What type of clothes, boots, that type of thing are you wearing? Well, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't get nearly as cold out here as it does back east from what I've heard. I've honestly never really been back east in the winter. So, but out here, usually I'm trying to find lighter warm clothes for my winter hunts you know like down coats king's camo just came out with a new down coat that i ordered one they seem awesome they're light they're warm they're great coat but really i don't know that it matters as much what you're wearing as long as you're comfortable that seems to be the big thing is making sure that you're comfortable on the hunt. Cause if you're not comfortable when you're out there and it's 10, 15 degrees and you're trying to watch a hillside for a deer, you're not going to want to be there. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to be focused on what you're doing and chances are you're not going to see what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you, as far as layering goes, um, do you experience severe temperature swings throughout the hunts that you're on? Oh yeah. This, we always say, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. It's one second, it's sunny and 70. The next second it's rain and then it's snow and then the wind's blowing like crazy. Then the sun's out, but it's only 20 degrees. It is the most crazy weather changes out here. It's just, it's ridiculous. So are you layering up in the morning expecting that to happen? Or are you packing extra clothes in your bag? Um, how do you prepare for such extreme changes? So usually if I'm doing like a late season elk hunt or something in November, I will layer up with my thermals my camouflage, then bibs and a coat. And then I always try and take an extra coat and put it in my pack if I'm hiking somewhere, just in case, just in case for some reason it gets really cold or something like that happens. And I always make sure that I have some way that I can start a fire with me, whether it's flint and steel or some of the pyro putty that phone scopes doing now just any way that I can to start a fire if I have to, to try and stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned really quickly and my buddy, Sean, he, he's the one who really got me into Western big game hunting and he taught me a lot of what I know, but 
one of the things was always have multiple ways to create fire and a good first aid kit because things can turn in a hurry. And we've, we've seen that. I mean, we've seen it go from like 15 degrees in the morning to 70 degrees in the afternoon, right back down to negative temperatures that night. And when you're at a spike camp in the back country with nothing but you in a tent or a tarp, like you have to make sure that your safety is the number one priority over getting an animal or trying to pack even, even lighter in. Um, we've had to, uh, as far as even preserving meat, we've had to string emergency blankets up in between bushes and our tripod just to give it some more shade because the temperature got so hot while we were trying to process an elk. Uh, and so there's a lot of little tips and tricks, but you really do want to be prepared for as many different situations as you can without overdoing it or packing the kitchen sink into the backcountry. Um, I definitely noticed though on my hunts, I was that guy, like the classic dude from Wisconsin who just layered and layered and layered and layered his clothes, but had cheap clothing. And so none of it was easy to take off. Anytime I started sweating, I'm having to take off three layers just to take off two more layers underneath that and then put the outer layers back on to protect myself from the wind still. And it wasn't until this year that I finally bought some good camo and it has been a game changer already. I got I got a whole first light set up. I bought it for myself for Christmas and the fact that I can unzip every layer of clothes and take base layers off without taking the outer layers off, holy cow, that that changed hunting for me, and I can stay comfortable all day long now. Um, and so, yeah, like what you are saying, make sure you're comfortable out there because as soon as uh, you get uncomfortable, you're not going to be focused on the hunt. You're going to be focused on how to get warm, how to cool down, how to how – to, not be rubbing your thighs raw as you're hiking up the mountain. Yeah. How do you like that first light stuff? I've heard of them, seen them around, but I've never really looked at them. So I've, I've got to check out some of the stuff. I've never worn it up until now. Um, but I got to check out some of the stuff cause my buddies all bought it for like big hunts that they were going on. They're like, man, I've got to stay comfortable, especially that mountain goat hunt. Like they knew the temperatures were going to be extreme, sometimes being up at 12, 13,000 feet. Um, and so they bought it and they just kept swearing by it. And I would see them literally unzip their bibs or their pants and take out the down layer and then zip it back up. And they never had to like get undressed. It was a 25, 35 second process Whereas for me, I would have to take my boots off, take my bibs all the way off, take my take my down layer off or my insulative layer off, and then put everything back on. And it's minutes and minutes and minutes that you're doing it that takes away from the hunt. And so I'm telling you, I would highly recommend this stuff. I'm not sponsored by them. Hopefully at some point <laughs> it'll happen. But uh, I just as a real hunter, like this stuff is amazing and I swear by it. Huh. I might have to look at that. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. I mean, everything from the, the wool long johns that I wear. So I basically bought a three piece kit for my top and bottom, um, wool base layer, top and bottom down mid layer, top and bottom, and then an outer shell. 
and I bought an extra pair of pants for like early season dove hunting, things like that in warm weather, even turkey hunting. Um, but then I've got like the big heavy duty bibs, but all of them, they zip. I mean, they've got a dual zipper so you can unzip them from the bottom or the top. And, uh, I've even found myself out duck hunting and walking through, walking through, um, some tall grass or some brush trying to go from one, one pond to another. And I'll just unzip all three layers to where I have air moving into my, uh, onto my legs and it cools me off. So it keeps me from sweating when I'm out there in in cold conditions. So yeah, check it out for sure. I would highly recommend it. Um, watch some videos on it and see just how versatile it could be. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to look at that stuff. Sounds really good. Um, what are, what are you using for boots? Um, right now I'm using Kenny tracks. Um, but I'm thinking I might switch. My Kenny treks are getting wore out. I've had them for four or five years now. And I'm really consider- considering, uh, Zamberlands. They're okay. a little bit, well, depending on what Kenny treks you get, the Zamberlands are a little bit more money, but everything I've read and everything I've heard about them, the, they're just phenomenal how comfortable they are and warm and i i mean i put a lot of miles in my boots throughout the year you know we'll be hiking all year when we're hunting deer and elk and then come late spring summer our shed hunting season opens and usually when i'm going out shed hunting i'm averaging 15 to 20 miles a day yeah dang yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you're putting so many miles on between all the different seasons. What um, is there something about your current boots that is making you want to switch, or is it features on the Zamberlands that you that you're just intrigued by? It, I think it's just the trying something different. Okay. Kenny Treks are amazing boots. They work great. I do kind of think that they're a little ugly and I think that the Zamberlands look better, but I just, I know a few people that have recently got a pair of Zamberlands and they, all of them have said they're the most comfortable boot they've ever worn and they'll never go back to anything else. Awesome. Yeah. I need to check those out. I have, I, I put a lot of miles on my boots, maybe one or two weeks when I'm actually out West, other than that, it's pretty, pretty easy hiking, pretty easy moving here in Missouri when I hunt, um, to the point where I've actually worn tennis shoes out to the stand in late season because I forgot my boots at home and (laughs) I was still pretty (laughs) comfortable. Um, but yeah, out West, like if you're going to be going out there, you really do need something with good ankle support. That's going to hold up to the elements. And I bought, I bought some Danners, uh, for my first hunt out there. And actually I still use them. I, I love them. And then I, I always tell people like, if you're going to be backcountry hunting, if you're going to set up a spike camp where you don't have access to supplies, uh, bring a second pair of footwear anyways, so that if your boots get, uh, wet or, you know, you're freezing or your feet are just sore from being in your boots all day, I recommend getting like Crocs or a cheap knockoff version of Crocs or some like slippers 
and they're typically lightweight if you just get those foam ones. But I'm telling you, I there's one thing that really sticks out to me um, that doesn't actually have to do with the kill on that mountain goat hunt, and it was getting up to a, a spot to set up camp, and I pulled my boots off, laid them next to the fire, and then I put these super ugly Walmart version Crocs on my feet, and it was like heaven on earth. I felt like I was living in luxury at that point. Yeah, I think another big thing that people kind of overlook when it comes to that aspect is a good pair of socks. A good pair of socks can save your life when you're hiking miles. You know, if you're, you know, just a regular pair of socks can slip around on you and you'll end up getting blisters when you're putting miles and miles on. But if you actually spend the money, a lot of these boot companies make socks like when i got my canny treks i got a pair of canny trek socks and they were expensive for socks they were i think they were 25 dollars for a pair of socks but like i'll wear those when i'm going out shed hunting and i'm putting you know that 15 20 miles on a day and it absolutely saves your feet to have a good pair of socks Oh yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I bought, I've looked into a bunch of different sock brands. Have you ever done the like sock liners inside of the socks? Uh Uh-uh. I've seen, I've heard of people doing that. It's like just an extra layer in there. And in my mind, when you layer up multiple times on socks, like you're going to get a lot more movement that's not wanted, but, um, some people swear by it. It's almost like I'm trying to think almost like a tights material. It's very thin and uh, you buy them, put them on first and then like say your wool socks go over the top of that and then your boot goes, goes on. And I just haven't tried it. I was curious if that's anything that you've seen or heard of uh, for Western hunting. Well, I've never seen that one before. The, the socks that I like to run are, they are really tight on your foot and i think i don't know i just think if you can minimize the movement of a sock then you're not going to get your feet aren't going to get as beat up you're not going to get as many blisters and take it from me when you get back in a long ways and you've got blisters on your feet and you have to get out it's miserable oh yeah I, I got to tell you this story because it happened to me and I felt like a total rookie, which I mean, aptly named podcast for that. Um, we went down after, after this herd of elk a couple of years ago and in the mornings when we're, when we're driving from spot to spot, like we're typically putting 45 minutes to an hour on four wheelers and side by sides before we ever even start glassing. We get way away from our base camp. We take these ridges all over the place. I mean, some days we've put 150 miles on a four-wheeler. And I we get all the way back there. Well, I'm always like the caboose of the caravan as we're going out there. So, I mean, I get layered up. I'm covered in dirt by the time we get to a spot where we're going to go after animals. And in the mornings, it is so cold. I've got like the lacrosse, um, alpha burly pro boots and so they're 1600 gram insulation uh you know if if we're going through puddles i'm not getting soaked i tuck my pants 
and all my layers into the boots. And I always would have uh, my hiking boots in the back of the side-by-side. And so we get out there, and right when we get to a spot where we wanted to get out in glass, we realize there's a couple hundred elk out there. And everyone's just like, all right, let's go. It's time to go right now. I mean, there's maybe four or five of us. We're going to go down, get a closer look, see what bulls are in the herd. And in the in all the commotion, I forget to, sw- to switch boots. And I didn't even think about it until after I had shot an elk and was probably, I don't know, three quarters of a mile from the side-by-side on my way to go get this elk. And I realized, I looked down, and I realized that I'm in my giant lacrosse, like, <laughs> muck boots. <laughs> and I'm just, at this point, I'm, like, panicking because I realize I've got hundreds of yards, almost vertical, to go back up. And I'm going to have a heavy pack on on my way back up. And I'm still several hundred yards away from the elk. And so, luckily, we had radios our friend, our other hunting friends in our party heard the shots. And so they came over to, to help with the pack out, came down to see what we got. And, um, on the radios, I was like, can someone please grab my boots out of the bed of the side by side? And so they did. I put my other boots in my pack, which now had a ton of weight in it from meat already. And so I was kind of kicking myself the whole time. Luckily, they didn't give me too hard of a time about it, but I couldn't imagine having to pack that elk out in muck boots. Like that would have been, that would have been hell. Oh yeah. I don't think that people realize how big of an animal an elk actually is. Once, once you get one on the ground, there's like, there's a lot of, weight right there in meat and then if you're killing a big bull you know to pack out a head and the antlers with it you're talking a lot of weight it's you gotta be pretty well prepared you want a good pair of boots and a good pack and you want to be very well set up for that yeah yeah the pack the pack is a huge deal um do you do like just a pack frame that you strap your gear into, or do you actually have an enclosed pouch on your pack where you put all your gear um, and then a meat shelf for the animal? So my pack, so I'm running the Badlands 2200. And so it actually has a couple of pouches there, which I like because I can put my spotting scope in one pouch. uh, My, 15 by 56 binoculars in one my tripod that i'm running that i run the most it will actually fit inside my pack which i really like because most guys are strapping it to the outside of their pack and then it's getting beat up and i don't know i like to try and keep my stuff nice but i'm not the best at it so it'll actually fit in my pack and then it actually has a little I don't know how you would really explain it. Almost like a little tarp thing that you can pull out of the bottom and you can set your meat on the outside of it and pull that up around it and then it buckles back into itself at the top. That's and awesome. And that's everything right there. Yeah, that's awesome. I I had uh, paralysis by analysis when it came to hunting packs 
because I saw so many different options and I'm like, dude, I have no idea. And you hear, you hear different reviews and some guys swear by a certain type. Some guys swear by a different type. Well, I ended up being gifted. It's, it's actually like an Easton archery hunting backpack. And, um, but it's got that, it's got that fabric that pulls out of the bottom. And that is basically your meat shelf, but it's got like 12 different clipping points um, and that's what I've used. I keep all my gear inside of it and then the meat goes on the outside of it and it doesn't have the traditional meat shelf on the bottom, but it's actually really, really comfortable and it's the only one I've used. So I can't really compare it to any of the other stuff, but I've loved it so far. So sportsman's warehouse a couple of years ago bought, uh, a camouflage company. Uh, called Killick and they launched a pack their camouflage is it's great uh, my wife absolutely loves it it seems like every time we're in sportsman she's looking at it but I bought her one of their packs and it's like they're a serious contender for a really good pack they've got a solid aluminum frame and then they actually have the bag on the back of it. But you undo like three buckles and you can pull the bag off and you have a meat shelf there. I mean, they're a really impressive, really comfortable, lightweight pack. That's awesome. I, I think that's probably going to be my next upgrade because I do enjoy my pack, but there are features that it's missing. Um, I've got to tell you another story about packing, packing meat out. There was this guy, Dan, and it was my first ever elk kill. We were, gosh, a long way back. I don't know how far, but it was like hours and hours getting back to the side by side. And it was just me and my buddy, Sean, that went out after these elk. I ended up shooting one. We get it all processed and Sean's brother, Shane and Shane's buddy, Dan, they came out to help us out and they get out there. Well, I notice immediately that Shane has a pack frame and Dan literally has nothing. He just hiked out there with nothing. And I'm like, Oh man, like it's awesome that they came to help, but it's still going to be only three of us packing out this bull. And Dan grabs a quarter on each shoulder. I mean, we boned them out, but he throws a quarter over each shoulder just in a meat game bag and hikes out and actually beats all of us out with just game bags on his shoulders. And I still, to this day, I can't believe that I watched that happen because he's in his mid to late fifties. And here I am like 30 years old at the time, maybe 29 and in some of the best shape of my life. And I was dying by the end of that hunt. And he's just like up at the top waiting for me uh, once I finally made it up. But I don't recommend doing that to everybody else. Like not a good strategy. You might die if you try that on your own. Yeah, that, you know, that sounds like my, let's see, it would be my great, great uncle, my great grandpa's brother. He's, let's see, he would be almost 85 now he'll go out hunting with us we'll go out elk hunting you know and you tying by a spike elk tag every year and so he'll buy a spike elk tag and go out spike elk archery hunting 
by himself at almost 85 years old and he'll do five to 10 mile hikes every day and he can out hike me. You know, I'm 26 years old and he can out hike me. There's like an old man toughness that some guys have and I'm, it blows my mind. I mean, it's, it's, I think a lot of it is probably a mental deal, but then also they're just used to suffering and they're okay with it. Like this is going to suck. Oh, well, I'm going to get through it. Um, I think that's actually probably a good topic to talk about quick before we end this one, uh, is your mental attitude out there. Is there any tips or tricks you can have, or you can share with the listeners about just your mindset being out there hunting and, and how you can potentially improve your chances just by, just by the way you're thinking. I think when you're out, you just have to remember that the whole reason that you're doing this is to have fun. You know, you can go out here in some units, you can go a day or two without seeing a deer pretty easy. So you've just got to remind yourself the whole reason you're out here doing it is because you like to be out in the hills. It gives you the opportunity to go out and see new country. And that needs to be your main focus, as well as the fact that you're, you are there to try and kill a trophy animal. You know, I think, I think the mental game is a very tricky thing to combat because it's really easy to get discouraged when you're not seeing stuff, but you have to try and find that drive to keep pushing even when you're not finding what you're looking for. Yeah. I, I like that thought. Um, I've, I've fallen victim to the negative mindset or the thought process like, man, I've got to kill this giant bull. I've got to have success. I can't come out here and strike out like what in the world that I would go back and I'd be embarrassed. All my friends would be like, where's your elk? And I just, I realized that I'm either going to succeed or learn every time. And if I don't, if I don't connect with an animal, I'm sure I'm going to learn a ton of stuff as to what not to do, maybe what to change for next time. And once you get in that mindset of, I have to kill something you, you start losing one, the enjoyment of it. And then two, you're putting so much pressure on yourself to where you're counting down the days. Like, Oh man, I only have this many days left instead of like, man, I still get to hunt for four more days. You know, you're, you're already kind of counting yourself out. I feel like once you get into that mindset. And so I totally agree. Have fun. If it's not, if you're not enjoying it out there, what's the point of being out there? Yeah. Yep. I a hundred percent agree with that. It's all about having fun. You gotta, I think before you even leave to go hunting, you have to decide this is what kind of animal I will take. You know, this is the size that I'm looking for. And if I don't find it, then that's okay. I got to go hunting. It was fun. And we made memories, had a blast because that's what it's all really about. Yeah, I tell people all the time, go out there with the expectation that you might not get something, but that you're going to have the time of your life. Because 
you can treat it just like a vacation where you might get a chance at a big bull or a buck or an antelope or whatever it is you're chasing. Um, one last thing. If, if someone is brand new to Western hunting, what do you think they should, I guess, pop their Western cherry with? Man, I don't know. I love mule deer hunting. There's just something about them. They are very, it's very difficult to find a big mule deer. And that, that just seems to be my kind of thing. I just love it. Yeah. I, I think mule deer is a great one to start with. And I was told early on, like, just shoot, just get something on the ground. Come out here. You can have your um, hopes and dreams, but just if you see something and you want to shoot it, shoot it. And once you break the ice, it become, it seems like it's easier and easier. You get in that mental mindset like, hey, I can actually do this. So the next year you go into it more confidently. Um, but mule deer is awesome. And, man, I can see why you're hooked on them looking at your social media feeds and the the racks that you get your glass on are insane. So everybody needs to go check your stuff out. In fact, where can they find where can they find you on social media? Where where can they find the tripods? Um, how can people follow along? Um well, if you go if you're on Instagram, you can go to at Muley Maniacs or at Canity Tripods. And both of that is are my pages. And from there, there's links in bios to mealymaniacs.com where you can find the tripods. You can find our hats and shirts and all the stuff that we sell. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I encourage everybody go check his stuff out. Go see some of the animals that he's been after and been able to connect with. And Dude, I'm pumped to see you in person, meet you in person. We're only about two weeks out from that, and uh, we'll see you in Salt Lake City here uh, at the beginning of next month. Yeah, I think it'll be great. We'll see you then. And there you have it. That's it. That's the first ever episode of The Western Rookie in the books. Hopefully you guys got a lot of good information from Stieg and I'm pumped to meet up with him out in Salt Lake City. We're both going to be at the Western Hunting Expo. And if you're listening to this episode right when it airs, you're only like a week away. So if you're in that area, if you want to stop by and say hi, he's going to be at the Times Up booth. I will, I'll just be kind of walking around, hopefully making some cool connections with other people, like-minded hunters, uh, people in the podcast world. And I'm just looking forward to that all around as well. After the show, I'm going to be dropping south of there to hunt with a guy named Dustin Clark. We're going to go on a mountain lion hunt. My first ever. I've never experienced anything even close to it. So I'm pumped about that as well. And we've got a lot of good guests coming up. I mean, some guys that are really well known in the industry for their accomplishments in the outdoors and their successes. And so lots of good information coming your way. Hopefully you guys are gaining information from this and excited about a future hunt. So until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.